Glad you're here uh, today, um, and thanks for our patience. We've, we moved some stuff around up front here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and so um, just to make space uh, here in the sanctuary, a little bit more space. And so if you're sitting in the first five rows, thank you for doing that. You get extra points um, in heaven today for that. So you get one point for attending church every Sunday and two points for sitting in the first five rows. So um, not true at all. Uh, so we're continuing a series called FAQ today, and we've been asking um, all kinds of questions, and I had planned on today talking about and exploring together some questions about life and death, and right, what happens after death, and um, is there a heaven, um, is there a hell, right, and like, like let's discuss that, um, and, and we're going to get to that, we'll come back to that next week, and we'll talk about some of those questions, because we all have questions about that right? We all have questions about what the Bible says about that, or if any of that's true, um, especially the hell one. Like, we want to believe in heaven. That's an easy one. Like, yeah, I hope that's true. But hell, that seems weird and mean and bad, and how do we think about that? So, we're going to do that next week, um, but today I want to explore a, a way less exciting question, um, but one that's maybe a lot more important, and it's this one. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have faith? Um, throughout this series, we've encouraged people to write down their toughest questions as it relates to their faith or to the Bible or to God or any of those kind of things. And we put a bunch of those questions, um, or all of them really, that people have written down on the board out there. And if you have time, just stop by there on your way out today and read some of those questions. There's some really great questions. And take a few minutes and write your own uh, questions, things that you've always wondered, things that are hard, things where you have doubts or you just don't understand how this works. Um, but I wanted to read a few of them for you today. Here's, here's one that showed up on the board recently. Um, when I declared faith in Jesus, I was supposed to be born again. It was pretty uneventful, though. Now, unfortunately, this person didn't write their question in the form of a question, so we had to throw it out. Sorry. Um, no, this isn't Jeopardy. Uh, but how many of us have experienced this, Right? Maybe you became a Christian a long time ago. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. But whenever it happened, it just it didn't feel like nothing magically changed overnight. And, it, and you would say, yeah, it felt kind of uneventful for me too. Here's another question someone wrote. Why does faith, or at least church attendance, not correlate with being a good person? That's a good question. Because maybe you think, when I became a Christian, uh, I don't know that a whole lot changed. I don't know that my life is that different. Or why does it seem like people who go to church aren't that much better than people who don't go to church? Here's another one. What if this is just a really good story? I love that question. Because um, I'm guessing whoever wrote that question wrote it and thought, I'm the only one at this place who probably thinks this. And what I want to say to you today is, no, I think we've all had that question, right? I've had that. I recently, I mean, I asked that question regularly. This book that we talk about, are we, what if, what if we're wrong? What if it's just a really good story, right? And there's all kinds of other questions out there. There's questions about God. There's questions about Jesus, about the Bible and miracles and the virgin birth. Do we need to believe? Did that really happen, right? Heaven and hell and what happens after you die. Other religions, other faiths, all kinds of 
of questions out there, and yet I think underlying so many of those questions and the ones up here is, is this simple question, what does it mean to have faith? Does it mean you don't have any questions? Does it mean you don't have any doubts? Does it mean you don't have any anxieties? Someone wrote that question. If I have anxiety or depression, does that mean I don't have faith? Or is that a lack of faith? I hope not, right? Because, I mean, we all have anxiety all the time. How many of us have gone through a season of depression in our lives? I mean, I hope that's not what faith means not having any of those things. So we're going to explore this question today. What does it mean to have faith? And I've got a bunch of thoughts or ideas or actually a whole bunch of more questions for us to ask. So let's look at some of these. Uh, the first one is this. What is faith? Right? What is faith? I mean, don't we have to start with that one? Is faith just believing that something is true? If you say, I'll meet you this afternoon at Starbucks at 2 o'clock, is faith believing that you're going to do that? Is that what faith is? I mean, it seems like that's what faith could be. I, I trust or I believe because I've gotten to know you and you seem like a trustworthy person or I don't know you very well, but other people have said you're trustworthy or every time I've ever, you've ever said you'll meet me somewhere, you'll always meet me there. So um, I have faith that you'll be there at 2 o'clock this afternoon because you said you would. Is that faith? Just believing something's true? Uh, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, gives um, a, a definition of faith. And here's what he says, or, or maybe here's what she says. We don't know, right? Um, let's just say she, just to kind of throw things off a little bit. Here's what she said. She said this. Now faith, see, you're thrown off. You're like, I can't believe it, because she said it, right? No. <laughs> That's not what you said. But you thought it. Um, just... So here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance, or that word can be translated conviction, about what we do not see. So it means I'm confident you're going to show up at Starbucks, right? I don't have a hidden camera that's following you to make sure that that's where you're driving. I didn't add you to find my friend's app on my phone, right? I'm not tracking you to see if you're actually driving to Starbucks right now. I can't see that. I can't perceive that with my senses. And yet I'm trusting that you're doing that. I believe that you'll be there. In fact, I believe it so much, I have a conviction about it that I will actually be there. I'm going to assume you're going to be there. I'm going to act upon this. I'm confident you'll be there. I'm so confident, it might even look like assurance because I'm driving there and I'm not texting you every second saying, are you on your way? Are you on your way? Are you on your way? I'm just trusting that you will be there. I'm acting as if you will. So faith isn't just believing something is true. Faith is, has a confidence that something is true. It's a conviction that something is true. It's a conviction towards something that you may not even see or have senses to know is true. Now that leads to another question that I think is important to ask. Uh, what's the difference between believing that and believing in? And there's an important distinction here. Maybe you've never asked this question or maybe you don't literally even understand what it means, but this is really important when it comes to God because it's one thing to say, I believe that God exists, but it's another thing to say, I believe in God. 
It's one thing to say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, but it's another thing to say, I believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. It's one thing to say, I believe that the Holy Spirit exists, that God forgives us, that there is life everlasting, but that's not what we said a few minutes ago in the creed. We said, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in life everlasting. You see, to believe that something is true is just a mental exercise, right? I believe that getting a flu shot will help me maybe not get the flu. I believe that the Broncos are going to bounce back and be in the Super Bowl (laughs) next year, right? I believe that this big thing of metal and plastic that we call an airplane can actually fly, right? See, mentally believing something like that, though, doesn't require confidence, it doesn't require much conviction, and it really doesn't cost me very much to believe that those things are true. You see, I can say I believe that a flu shot's going to help me, but if I'm too lazy to go get a flu shot, then I don't really have any conviction about it. I can say that I believe that the Denver Broncos are going to be in the Super Bowl next year, but if I'm not going to buy tickets to the Super Bowl until they actually get to the AFC Championship and then win it, and then I might buy tickets to the Super Bowl, well, then I didn't really have that much confidence they're going to get to the Super Bowl. I can say I believe that this huge thing we call an airplane will actually fly, but if I'm afraid of flying and I refuse to get on an airplane, well, I'm not really putting my trust in the plane. You see, believing that something is true requires a whole lot less than believing in something. Believing in something requires confidence. It requires conviction. And it often even costs us something. Because it's a choice that we make. And here's the reality. A lot of people believe that God exists that Jesus died on the cross. We can believe a whole lot of things about God or about the Bible, but I wonder if God is a whole lot less concerned with what we believe or that we believe something than whether we actually believe in him. Now, maybe sometimes believing things about God is an important step towards believing in God, but not always, right? Not always. There's a lot of people who believe a lot of things about God, but they don't really believe in Him. And I'm not even pointing the finger at other people. I could say that about myself. There's a lot of days that I believe God, that God loves me, and that God delights in me when He looks at me, but I live my whole day as if He's disappointed in me, or He's angry at me, or He's frustrated with me, or He's mad at me. See, I believe that God loves me, but I'm not really believing in God's love for me. And maybe this explains that question that was asked before, why so many people can go to church and say they believe things about God, that, that God is, exists and that Jesus died on the cross and all these things about God, and maybe it doesn't really change their lives. Because maybe they don't believe in something because transformation requires believing in something. It's when we believe in something, we put our trust and our confidence in it that God changes our lives and that he transforms us. And so maybe there's churches that are full of people that believe a whole lot of things about God but aren't really believing in him. 
Now, that leads to another question that I think it's worth asking, and it's this. What are the prerequisites for faith in God? So what do you have to have to believe in God? Or what leads to believing in God? The kind of faith that we're talking about that has conviction and confidence. What are the prerequisites? Is there a personality trait that's a prerequisite for having faith in God? I don't think so, right? I mean, maybe there's some people that are more trusting of things or more believing of things than other people, but that means they could believe in all kinds of other things. They could believe in in money. They could put their trust in themselves. They could put their trust in some sort of other value system. They could put their trust in faith. They could put their trust in all sorts of other things that actually undermine their trust. In God. So I don't think there's any wiring or any personality trait that is a prerequisite that you need to have or that I need to have to have faith in God. Here's another one. Are Christian parents a prerequisite for faith, right? Is growing up in the church or sort of a church upbringing, is that a prerequisite? I don't think so. I mean, that might go a long ways towards helping you believe some things about God, believing that right? That God exists. That the Bible is maybe a book worth reading. That Jesus was a real person. But believing in, that's a personal choice. And there's a lot of kids that grow up in church and believe a whole lot of things about God, but they never really believe in him. And there's a lot of people who, and a lot of people in here who would say, I grew up and I didn't go to church at all, or I didn't have any kind of church background or upbringing, but I came to a place in my life where I actually did choose to believe in Jesus or in God. So having a Christian or a church upbringing is great and helpful in a lot of ways, but it's not a prerequisite for faith. And let me just say one sort of tangential thing here. This is why I think baptism is so important. Because baptism is coming to a place in your life, whether you're 8 years old or 18 years old or 28 or 38 or wherever it is in your life, and saying, I am putting my faith in Jesus. And I am making this choice to respond to what he's done in my life and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And this wasn't my parents' decision. And this wasn't my girlfriend's decision or my family's decision or my friend's decision. This wasn't anyone else's decision. This is my decision. And this represents my choice to follow Jesus in my life. It becomes a marker for faith. Now, here's another one. Um, Are answers to all of your questions a prerequisite for faith? No, I don't think so. Right? But I think that's the biggest mistake that some of us make. That I have to understand everything about God or get answers to all of my questions before I can really put my trust in Him. And Christians do this all the time. When it's a specific situation where it feels like God is nudging us to have faith. And I have to say, well, wait a second. I have to understand what you're doing here, God. Or I have to understand why you're not giving me this thing. Or how you're moving this. Because I don't understand it right now. And if I'm going to trust you in this one, you need to help me understand it. Or maybe non-Christians oftentimes say, I have to have all my questions about the Bible and Jesus and the miracles and the dinosaurs and all those things answered before I can really trust any of it. And at one level, if you stop and think about it, it's kind of silly, right? Because 99% of us don't understand how a plane flies. 
in the sky, right? We have no idea how it works. We just, we have no idea, and there's nothing in nature that would help us understand this, because think about the only things that we know that fly are little birds made of feathers, right, that are maybe just a few feet wide, but these massive hunks of, of steel that are 200 feet long and 200 feet wide, they fly. How in the world does that work? Well, let me show you a picture of the newest plane, how does that thing fly? <laughs> it's shaped like a whale. <laughs> we patterned this machine after one of the largest animals that swims in the Arctic Ocean. It makes no sense whatsoever. And none of us could explain it in this room today, probably. And yet, every single one of us regularly gets on one of these machines and trusts that it'll fly. You see, understanding everything isn't a prerequisite for faith. In fact, here's what St. Augustine said. Stephen mentioned this a few weeks ago. I like this quote. He said, believe that you may understand tell you a little bit about Augustine. He lived in the 4th and 5th centuries, and he was probably one of the smartest people to ever live. I mean, top 10 probably, at least top 100, right? He's really, really, he was brilliant. And he wasn't a Christian for most of the first half of his life. He didn't really grow up going to church. He went a little bit. His mom was a Christian. His dad wasn't. So he was exposed a little bit to Christianity, but not much. But he was this brilliant thinker, and he wanted to answer every single question. He wanted to understand how the world works, and he read Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and all the most smartest people at that time, and he searched out answers to all of his questions, and he was asking all the same questions that we were asking. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why are all these things? Why are people the way they are? And he's trying to get answers to it. And he didn't become a Christian because it answered all of his questions. In fact, it didn't answer all of his questions. He became a Christian one day. He can't even really explain why. It just happened. It's just like something was drawing him. Something was moving him. Something was compelling. It was like this, this mysterious grace was pulling at him. So he put his faith in Jesus. And he started following Jesus. But he didn't turn his mind off. He didn't say, well, all the questions are unimportant. In fact, the questions became more important. And so he keep, kept asking all those questions and he kept searching out answers. And as the days and the weeks and the months and the years went by, he began to see new realities. And he began to see things from a new standpoint. And he began to understand things that he hadn't understood before, which is why he said, believe that you may understand. A few centuries later, another famous philosopher, I won't tell you much about him, his name was St. Anselm. In the 11th century, he expanded on Augustine's writing and he said this, he said, I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but rather I believe in order that I may understand. You see, understanding, getting all the answers to your questions, it's not a prerequisite for faith. In fact, oftentimes it's the opposite. Sometimes understanding comes only on the other side of faith. Here's one more. Um, is dramatic experience a prerequisite for faith? 
Do we have to have a dramatic experience before we can trust in something or have faith in something? I don't think so. Uh, There's a story from the Old Testament. Um, You might have heard this story before. It's about a guy named Elisha, and he's going through this difficult season in his life. All these things have gone wrong, and he goes out into the wilderness, and in the middle of the wilderness, the the physical, literal wilderness, it's sort of a, a metaphor for what's going on in his life. He's wondering, where is God in this, and how can God speak to me in the midst of all this? And here's what happens. It says this in 1 Kings. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It was in the gentle whisper. In Hebrew, the two words there are literally a silent voice. A silent, but maybe even in the silence, maybe it was a whisper, but maybe it was so quiet that it was almost silent. That's where God met him. I have a friend who's going through a difficult season right now in his life. He's just had all kinds of painful things happen, and it's been really hard, and I was meeting with him the other day. He was saying the hardest thing about it is it just feels like God has been absent feels like God has been silent. It feels like I just, I keep wanting God to say something or do something or intervene and he's not. He's just not saying anything. And I get it. A lot of us have felt that. He went on to also tell me that his family has, has done so much in this season in life and has stuck by him and, and been there for him. He's had friends that have surrounded him. He's had people from this church, numerous people from this church, reach out to him and say, how can I help you? How can we be there for you? And so I, I gently asked, is it possible that that's God's whisper right now? Is it possible that all of those people that are surrounding you, that that's the way God is loving you? That that's the way God is present for you? That that's the way God is with you? It's not miraculous. There's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing dramatic about it. It's just people coming alongside. Is that maybe what God is up to right now? And that's hard to see and that's hard to embrace when you're going through a tough season. But here's what I've learned in my life. God doesn't always and probably doesn't even usually work in really dramatic ways. He does sometimes. He does sometimes. But if we're waiting to believe in him or express faith in him or trust him in a specific area of our lives, if we're waiting for him to do something dramatic first... We might be waiting a long time. Because then it wouldn't really be faith, would it? (laughs) You have to do something dramatic first, then I'll trust in you. Well, that's not really trust. That's not really trust. You see, I don't think any of those things... (laughs) Or what faith is built upon. I mean, they might help, and God might use all of those things from time to time, but I don't think they're prerequisites for faith. I don't think they're what faith is built on. So that leads to the questions, well, what is faith built on, and how does it happen? I mean, how do you get to that place in your life where you do just sort of believe and trust in Jesus, not in just little places, but in a lot of places in your life? 
Here's a question. Does that happen? Does faith in Jesus happen in a specific moment? Not usually, right? I mean, for Augustine, it felt like a moment. In his memoirs, he describes it as a moment. He says, I was in a garden one day and I heard this girl's voice and then I started reading the, this part of the Bible and then I just believed. It was this moment. If you know Paul's story, the Apostle Paul, he has this dramatic conversion experience. But it's not that way for most people. As one person wrote on the board out there, right? It felt pretty uneventful when I trusted in Jesus. In fact, a lot of people are that way. We're not even really sure. Like, when did it happen? Like, I can't point to a specific moment in time or a specific decision. And if that's the case, sometimes it can feel like I don't really have faith. There's a pastor, his name is Tim Keel. Uh, he's a pastor of a church in Kansas City. And he wrote an article a number of years ago. And, and in that article, he said this. He told a story. He said, early in the life of our church community, Jacob's Well, that's the name of his church, a group of us met at a neighborhood bagel shop one morning. As we ate bagels and drank coffee, the time somehow turned from casual conversation to the seven gathered telling the stories of their lives and faith journeys. And when the last person is shared, someone made the offhand comment that not one person in our group described his or her faith story in conventional conversion terms. No one could point to a moment in time when they were out and then in. It was a surreal moment because prior to that conversation, each of us had thought something was wrong with our stories. He goes on, he says, as we continued to talk, we realized that our faith was made up of a series of many conversions spaced out over time. In fact, our conversions were less like Paul's dramatic Damascus Road experience and more like Peter's plotting and clumsy discovery that the one whom he had been following was the one long promised by God. Our faith seemed to be more of an ongoing and progressive surrender of ourselves to God that was integrally tied to a simultaneous, ongoing, and progressive revelation of God to us. Our narratives were characterized not so much by a moment in time that we had become Christians, though we had, but by a process of responding over time, more or less, to Jesus' invitation to join him and participate on this journey. I love that description because I think it's true probably of a lot of us in this room. I think it's true of most people. I think even Augustine was able to step back at the end of his life and write these memoirs where he was able to see. It wasn't this moment in the garden. There was so much that God was doing leading up to that. It was like this plotting discovery in my life and there's so much that he continued to do. It was a long journey. And you see, in all of our stories, yes, there might be some key moments. There might be some pivotal seasons. There might be some, some crossroads we come to, some, some mini conversions that we have. But for most of us, it's a plodding and clumsy discovery that what Jesus said about himself is true and that we can put our faith more and more and more in that. And that's partly why here at New Denver we use that word journey so much because we recognize we're all on a different journey of faith. 
And there's no one point that's better than another point. There's no one journey that's better than another journey. We're all on journeys of faith. And in some ways, our journeys of faith look so different. And in other ways, they can look eerily similar. But that's what they are. They're journeys of faith. And that's what we call ourselves a community of faith. Because together, we're helping one another walk on this journey. And so here's the final question that I think we need to ask today. It's this one. Where is God inviting you to a deeper place of faith in your journey? Where's the area that he's saying to you right now, just trust me. Trust me on this. Is there a decision that you need to make where he's saying, trust me? Is there a difficult circumstance you're going through? And he's saying, just trust me through this. Is there a dream that you need to let go of? And you don't want to. And he's saying, trust me. Is there a difficult relationship? Is there somebody you need to talk to? Is there someone maybe you need to forgive? And he's saying, I know it's hard. But trust me on this. Or maybe you're like Kyle, who was here and he was baptized a few weeks ago who said he didn't really grow up going to church, but it's only in the last year or so that he started asking all kinds of questions, and he asks all the ones that we're asking, and he realized he couldn't always find all of those answers, and at some point, he came to the realization that God was standing there just saying, trust me, and he trusted him. And maybe you're here, and maybe you've gotten to that point, and, and there's something that's holding you back, or there's something that's, that's keeping you from, from jumping in, Right? What is that thing? What's holding you back? What if Jesus is just saying today, you don't have to have all your questions answered. Just trust me. Just trust me. And what if every single one of us in this room could identify one place in our lives, at least one place in our lives or in our hearts where God is saying today, would you be willing to take that thing today or this week let go a little bit, surrender a little bit, and just trust me with it. And what if we all did? Then wouldn't we be a community characterized by faith in him? Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, <clears throat> um, we do want to be a community of faith. And we want to trust you with every area of our lives. And that's not always easy. <clears throat> As the writer of Hebrews said, it requires some conviction or some confidence. And it often means letting go of something certain. <laughs> so I just pray in the next few moments um, that whatever your spirit has maybe brought into our hearts or into our minds is a place where we could trust you more, that you give us the boldness and you give us the confidence to do that. And if we ever doubt that you're trustworthy, God, help us to remember your son, Jesus. And that he came and he gave his life for us and that we need to look no further than the cross to know that you love us and that you're with us. I pray this in his name. Amen.